Hello, this is Nikdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 10th of January. India reported more than 18,000 fresh coronavirus cases in the last 24 hours, taking the country's total tally to over 1.04 crores or 10.4 million. The death toll crossed 150,000 with more than 201 people dying in the last 24 hours. India is all set to launch its COVID-19 vaccination drive from 16th of January. In what Prime Minister Narendra Modi has called the world's largest inoculation program, priority will be given to nearly 3 crore healthcare and frontline workers, followed by those above 50 years of age and those under 50 with comorbidities. The announcement came after Modi chaired a high-level meeting to review the coronavirus situation in the country where he was briefed about the preparedness status of the center in close collaboration with the state and union territory governments for the rollout of the vaccines. A government statement said and I quote, after the detailed review it was decided that in view of the forthcoming festivals including Lohri, Makar Sankranti, Pongal, Magh Bihu etc, the COVID-19 vaccination will start from 16th of January 2021. Unquote. The government will also be using the latest electoral rolls for Lok Sabha and Legislative Assembly elections to identify the population aged 50 years or more to be vaccinated against COVID-19 on priority. There was widespread concern regarding the hurried emergency use authorization given to the Bharat Biotech vaccine earlier this week. If you listen to Daily Dose regularly, you remember that we told you about how the pharma firm did not provide any data for phase 3 trials of its vaccine. Now in Madhya Pradesh's Bhopal a 42 year old man's death 9 days after being inoculated with Bharat Biotech's COVID-19 vaccine has raised concerns yet again. However, government health officials said that poisoning was the suspected cause of death but added that the exact cause will be known after the Visara test. The deceased volunteer was a survivor of the Union Carbide gas leak tragedy in Bhopal that took place in 1984. In response Bharat Biotech has issued a statement saying that the volunteer Deepak Maravi was healthy during the follow-ups conducted 7 days after he was administered the shot. Three organizations of the survivors of the gas tragedy meanwhile wrote to the Prime Minister and the Union Health Minister today asking them to stop the trial of Bharat Biotech's Covaxin in Bhopal. According to a scroll report the letter asserts that proper guidelines were not followed while receiving consent from the volunteers in Bhopal several of whom were survivors of the 1984 tragedy. Our story of the week on daily dose is the violence that broke out at the US Capitol. We'll come back to it later during the episode. Thousands of farmers from Punjab, Haryana, Rajasthan and multiple other states have been protesting at the borders of the national capital since the 27th of November last year. Eight round of talks have taken place between the center and the farm union leaders with no consensus materializing. Among other concerns, the farmers fear that the new farm laws will weaken the minimum support price mechanism and their traditional mandi system. They have also boycotted big corporates like Reliance and Adani, fearing that the formal entry of corporates into the farming sector will leave farmers vulnerable to exploitation. The center on the other hand continues to maintain that the new farm laws are in the interest of farmers and has refused to concede to the farmers demand of repealing the laws completely. In Haryana today the police fired tear gas and used water cannons on protesting farmers who were trying to enter Kemla village in Karnal district. The chief minister of Haryana Manohar Lal Khattar was scheduled to address people in this village on how the new farm laws would be beneficial to the farmers. Heavy police deployment was seen outside the village ahead of the chief minister's visit. The visit however was cancelled after chaos erupted as a result of the face-off between the police and the protesters. According to a report in the Tribune, protesting farmers crossed the first barricades installed at Gharonda on the Kemla road.
It was followed by a dharna or a sit-in on the second barricade where Karnal Superintendent of Police Gangaram Punya tried to pacify them. At the second barricade again, the farmers decided to leave their vehicles and move ahead on foot. The police then used tear gas and water cannons to disperse the crowd. In November last year, the Haryana administration had garnered criticism for authorizing the use of tear gas and water cannons on farmers when they began their march to Delhi. A 40-year-old farmer from Punjab's Fatehgarh Sahib, identified as Amrinder Singh, died by suicide at Delhi Singhu border yesterday. The farmer had told his friend that he was forced to take this step because the government had refused to listen to their demands. He said that he hoped his death would bring success to the farmers' movement. He was rushed to Sonipat's FIMS hospital after consuming poison but died during treatment. This is the fourth incident of suicide at the protest site in the last two weeks. Besides this, more than two dozen farmers have died either by suicide or due to biting cold conditions at the borders and while travelling to Delhi to join the protest. The Karnataka government has introduced schemes to provide monetary aid to Brahmin brides belonging to the economically weaker sections in the state. According to a report in the print, the schemes were launched by the State Brahmin Development Board, which was set up for the community last year by Chief Minister Yadirappa. Under the Arundhati scheme, families of Brahmin brides will get 25,000 rupees. Under the Maitreya scheme, they will receive 3 lakh rupees if the woman marries a priest in the state. 500 women for the Arundhati scheme and another 25 for the Maitri scheme have already been identified by the Brahmin board. The board's chairperson mentioned other criteria in the schemes. He said, and I quote, Brahmins who come out from economically backward sections of the society will be eligible. Other conditions include that not only should the bride be from the Brahmin community, it should also be her first marriage. The married couple will also have to give an undertaking that they will remain married for a specified period of time. Unquote. Yadirappa's schemes have invited criticism from multiple opposition members who have called them regressive. In a welcome judgment that was long pending, the Supreme Court of India this week ruled that fixing a notional income for homemakers would be a step towards social equality. A bench headed by Justice N.V. Ramana was deciding on the matter in a motor accident claim case. Ramana said, and I quote, the sheer amount of time and effort that is dedicated to household work by individuals who are more likely to be women than men is not surprising when one considers the plethora of activities a homemaker undertakes. A housemaker often prepares food for the entire family, manages the procurement of groceries and other household shopping needs, cleans and manages the house and its surroundings, undertakes decoration, repairs, maintenance works, looks after the needs of the children and any aged members of the household, manages the budgets and so much more. In rural households, they often also assist in the sowing, harvesting and transplanting activities in the field apart from tending cattle. However, despite all of the above, the conception that housemakers do not work or that they do not add economic value to the household is a problematic idea that has persisted for many years and must be overcome." Unquote. The ruling also cited that the 2011 census where it was found that over 159 million women stated that household work was their main occupation as compared to only 5.79 million men. The court asserted the importance of fixing notional income for homemakers in order to recognize the multitude of women engaged in household activities. The bench also said that such a move would be an acceptance of the idea that these activities contribute in a very real way to the economic condition of the family and the economy of the nation, regardless of the fact that it may have been traditionally excluded from the economic analysis. And now for some updates from the world of arts and culture. Celebrated Indian fashion designer Satya Paul passed away on Wednesday, January 6th at the age of 79. 
The late designer's son, Puneet Nanda, posted on Facebook that Paul, who founded the iconic fashion label, had a stroke on December 2nd and was recovering at the hospital. Nanda wrote, and I quote, We finally got clearance from the doctors to take him back to Isha Yoga Center, his home since 2015. As per his wish, he gently passed on with the blessings of the master, meaning Jaggi Vasudev. Unquote. Satyapal began his journey into the fashion industry as early as the partition and went on to become a pioneer in the field of retail fashion. He later expanded into the export of Indian handloom products to high-end retail stores in Europe and America. In the 80s, Paul launched La Faire, which is considered to be the first sari boutique in India. This was followed by the launch of his designer label Satyapal with his son Nanda. Tributes poured in from Bollywood celebrities and the big names of the fashion industry in India post his demise. Coming back to our story of the week. On Wednesday, 6th of January, outgoing U.S. President Donald Trump's supporters violently stormed into the U.S. Capitol building at Washington, D.C., leaving five people dead and over 60 injured. The incident took place when lawmakers present inside were meeting to certify the Electoral College votes and thus President-elect Joe Biden's victory. The events unfolded on the day when thousands of Trump supporters had gathered in Washington to protest the results of the 2020 presidential elections in the United States. President Trump, who has claimed since November 3rd that the elections were stolen from him, spoke just moments before the rioters breached security from four sides to enter the Capitol building. He said, and I quote, We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You do not concede when there is theft involved. Unquote. Trump, maintaining that he would not concede, had urged his supporters multiple times to march to Washington for a rally on the day the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate were scheduled to certify electoral college results. The armed rioters entered the building after clashing with the police forces. They scaled walls, broke windows of the House chamber, ran through the halls, pushed doors, entered offices of senators and fought with the Capitol Police. Tear gas, stun grenades and other riot control measures were used by the police to de-escalate the disorder. In a scuffle between the rioters and the police, a 35-year-old woman, Ashley Babbitt, was shot dead by a Capitol Police officer. Another police officer lost his life and three others died due to medical emergencies. The House chamber was evacuated at first, but it restarted meeting hours later to certify Biden's election victory. In the aftermath of the violence, a spate of Capitol Police officer and D.C. lawmakers put in their resignation and expressed shock and disappointment over the incident. Researchers, Democrats and multiple Republicans have attributed the capital violence on Trump's consistent narrative that the election results were rigged. On the day when the counting of votes began, Trump, in his White House address, had said that the election had been stolen away from him and what followed was a series of failed attempts to reverse the results in his favour. From approaching the state Supreme Courts for vote recounts, stalling the certification of votes in multiple states, firing dissenting colleagues, to blaming his Vice President Mike Pence for failing to reverse the results, the Trump administration has made multiple attempts to reject the election results. Just last week, a controversy had erupted after a call between Trump and the Georgia Secretary of State was made public. President Trump was heard asking Raffensperger to find him 11,780 votes in his favour to overturn the election results in the state. Two other calls were also found by the Washington Post in which Trump pressured officials to secure him a win in the state of Georgia. According to a New York Times report, in the first week of December, Trump tweeted 145 times lashing out at the election results. On December 20th, a tweet by Trump urged his supporters to come to D.C. on the 6th of January. It read, and I quote, Statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there will be wild. Unquote. 
Hours after the display of violence by his supporters on Wednesday, he tweeted and I quote again, These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously, viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly, unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace. Remember this day forever. Unquote. This message was later deleted by Twitter. Twitter, Facebook and Instagram had temporarily suspended Donald Trump's accounts for policy violations on the day of the incident. Twitter blocked Trump for 12 hours and also threatened to impose a permanent ban on his handle if he continued to post conspiracy theories related to the 2020 election results. Facebook locked Trump's account for 24 hours. Later on Friday, Trump's account was permanently suspended by Twitter based on two of his tweets from that afternoon. In the tweets, Trump had called all his supporters great American patriots and said that they would soon get a giant voice and would be treated fairly. He had also written that he would not be attending President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. Besides blocking his account permanently, Twitter has also said that calling his supporters patriots could be considered as a show of support for the violence. It added that a large number of Trump supporters were seeing the post about him not attending the inauguration as further confirmation that the 2020 elections were not legitimate. Citing the possibility of another attack as the reason for its move, Twitter said, and I quote, The second tweet may also serve as encouragement to those potentially considering violent acts that the inauguration would be a safe target as he will not be attending, unquote. Twitter's move to ban Trump's account was seen by researchers and activists as something that was delayed for months when the outgoing president spread misinformation on the platform. The Washington Post reported that the January 6th violence was being discussed and planned by Trump supporters on Telegram and two right-wing conservative websites. It added that his tweets were being seen by his supporters as directions to violently overturn the elections. On websites called the Donald.Win and Parler, Calls for violence, war, carrying of arms into D.C. and restoration of Trump's presidency were being made. Stating Trump's role in the inciting of the violence, House legislators called for his immediate resignation. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said on Friday that the House would move forward to impeach Trump if he did not resign immediately. Pelosi added that the House was considering every option, including the setting up of a commission under the 25th Amendment, to recommend Trump's removal. Meanwhile, U.S. Representative Ted Lieu said yesterday that the Democrats in the House of Representatives will introduce a legislation tomorrow urging the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Inconsistencies in handling the rioters by the police were also noted as Black Lives Matter activists recollected the police brutality that they were met with last year while protesting for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death. Till now, over a dozen people have been charged with rioting for the Wednesday incident and 68 of the rioters have been arrested. Civil rights lawyers and activists have pointed out that if black protesters had stormed into the US Capitol, the consequences would have been immediate and deadly. Now coming to how a section of our media covered the attack on the Capitol Hill. Even our Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who has been good friends with the soon-to-be erstwhile President of the United States, joined the chorus of Global Voices condemning what had happened, saying that the democratic process cannot be allowed to be subverted through unlawful protests. A section of our Indian media, meanwhile, compared the mayhem at the Capitol to the Shaheen Bagh protests against the Citizenship Amendment Act. On Times Now's India Upfront, Rahul Shivshankar's debate was titled US Riots Spark a Rao in India as Prime Minister Narendra Modi Defends Democracy. Will the stalemate end? Unquote. Tickers included Prime Minister Modi's stand on democracy trivialized. To know more about how the Indian media used the opportunity to delegitimize protests, including the farmers' agitation, do read Anna's report on our website, newslaundry.com, titled How Indian TV Anchors Made the Capital Riots All About Modi. 
And now for some international updates. Please consider this a trigger warning as the following news story may contain graphic information. Rescuers this morning pulled out body parts and debris of the wreckage of a Boeing passenger aircraft that crashed near Indonesia's capital yesterday. An Indonesian Srivijaya airplane with 62 people, including six crew members on board, had crashed into the sea minutes after taking off from Jakarta yesterday. The plane crashed near Lucky Island, some 12 kilometers away from the airport. The plane had disappeared from the radar after taking off just after 2.30 p.m. News agency Associated Press reported that officials said that they were closing in on the wreckage of the flight after the sonar equipment detected a signal from the aircraft. Divers have marked at least three sites at the suspected crash site with orange balloons. Hundreds of personnel, including those from the police search and rescue teams and the Navy, with 10 warships were taking part in the search mission. The Indonesian authorities confirmed that all people on board were Indonesian. The incident comes just after the aircraft maker Boeing agreed to pay more than $2.5 billion in fines and compensation after reaching a settlement with the United States Justice Department for two plane crashes that killed 346 people and led to the grounding of one of its aircraft models. The Jakarta-based Srivijaya Air Group flies largely within Indonesia and was founded in 2003. The aircraft has had a strong safety record with no reported crashes, but Indonesia's overall air safety record has been inconsistent. In 2007, the European Union had banned all Indonesian airlines following a series of crashes and reports of oversight and low maintenance. The restrictions were lifted only in 2018. And now for some homegrown stuff from Newslaundry.com. In this week's episode of News Laundry Hafta, the panel discussed the capital riots, Julian Assange and the approval to the Central Vista project in New Delhi. Here is a short clip from their conversation. Also, I just want to add that this is, a, like I said, it was a majority Iranian white man mob. If it was black people, suppose they'd stormed or, you know, yeah. whatever, Black Lives Matter stormed, course, police would not have stood like that. They would have, they would have shot No, look at what happened in Portland. CNN had done a study on the role of the police. Mm. So they, so when the entire mob climbed up uh, the stairs, mm. so they, the focus of the camera was on the policemen. What are they doing? Mm. So, so the police looked quite inert at that time. Okay, the, the, I mean, they were not doing anything as if they are waiting for some orders. But with respect to what Manisha was saying on how um, in India it would have been a Hindu mob, the mob that we saw uh, in the capital today, that is absolutely a fact and that's the kind of mob that we have seen in India. We saw it in Delhi. To listen to the complete episode, subscribe to News Laundry because we are a 100% ad-free news platform. We believe that in order for news to stay independent, it needs to be free from the clutches of advertisers and sponsors. So go to our website and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. A monthly subscription costs as low as 300 rupees only. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.